Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Well, of course, it is Valentine's Day weekend, as you all know, so some of you might be able to guess that my message is about love, Uh uh-huh, but you'd be wrong. (laughs) That's right, nope. No guessing what Rabbi Kevin's message is going to be about. No, I always like to throw curveballs. Why do the expected? Oh, that's all I'm saying. Listen, I'm going to talk about Grandpa. I'm going to talk about Grandpa. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I don't always talk about him, but uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's turn there. Some of you may have heard of my grandfather, uh, King Solomon. <laughs> There's a few greats in the middle there. You understand? It's great, 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 uh, believe to have been in some way, shape, or form descended from uh, Melech Shlomo, but who knows exactly? King, so- I don't have I don't have a family tree that goes back that far. By the way, everybody. Okay, King Solomon, man. Let's talk a little bit about King Solomon today, because I'm going to tell you there are lessons that we can learn in our lives, and some things that really relate to us, some things that have happened even lately, and and I really wanted to minister to you and bless you today. Okay, King Solomon, wow, he was awesome. I mean, King Solomon, pretty amazing guy. He clearly, there, there's, there's so many things that he accomplished that he did. He clearly learned a lot of lessons from his father. And, uh, and I want you to listen. We're going to read a, a good chunk of scripture today. Uh, even, I, I always have a lot of scripture. You all know that because you got to have scripture. Any place that you hear just uh, no, nothing from the word or a tiny little portion and then them just speaking the whole time and never bring another, run, don't walk. Okay, get away from that place. Go to a place where they read the word. I got a, a lot, got a lot of word for you here today. Okay, listen to this inter- interaction between, but I think you need to hear it to understand the context of what we're talking about. And hear the story, many of you know the story, of course, of Melch Shlomo, King Solomon. We're going to talk a little bit about it more today and, and, and try to gain some some real rich lessons from it. An interaction between King Solomon and God when Solomon was still a new young king. So we're going to hear discussion, if you will, a little bit, between Adonai himself, God, uh, and this new king, this young king, King Solomon, chapter 3. We're not going to read the whole account. I think that you know basically what happened. Verse 5, at Gibeon, Adonai appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask for what should I give you? Well, I mean, that, that's, like, uh, that's like one of those things that, 
Who's ever asked that? I mean, that, that's like what they make movies about. You know, oh, you have three wishes. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, what are you going to wish for? I wish for 50 more dreams. Okay, oh, you know, 50 more wishes. You, you know the old story. Okay, but it's, it's not this. this. This is God himself. This is not fiction. This is truth. Uh, and, and so God asked Solomon, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? It's an unbelievable ask. I mean, you got to think about it, man. How would you, how would you have responded? It's it's tough. I mean, relative to to what we know from the scripture, maybe we respond a little bit differently. But man, most people, you ask them what what they will listen. I'll, I'll give you some. God Himself visit them and says, "What should I give you?" And they're going to have a lot of answers. Let's move to verse seven. Uh, Solomon says this. So now I deny my God. You have made your servant king. In my father David's place, I am but a youth. I don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is amid your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant, he's asking God for this, so give your servant a mind of understanding to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Wow. Man, so uh, anything you could have asked for. And he asks for this. He asks for the, the, the ability and the, and the knowledge of the Lord, the wisdom from the Lord is what he's asking for. In order to, to do a good job to lead God's people, it's a very humble answer. It's, 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 uh, it's pleasing. Man, God was pleased. God was happy. He was thrilled with that answer by Melech Shlomo, by King Solomon. Uh, how do I know? Well, let's read the very next verse. How does God reply in verse 10? Now, it was pleasing in the eyes of Adonai that Solomon requested this thing. So God said to him, because you ask for this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor ask for yourself riches, nor asked for the life of your enemies, but asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and discerning mind so that there has been none like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. Moreover, I have also given you what you did not request, both riches and honor, so that no one among the kings will be like you all your days. Wow, man, that's, that's one of those stories that, whew, it, it, it's, it's, it's jarring in its, in, in its immensity, uh, to, to, to think when, when, when God said this to Solomon, what do you want? Solomon could have listened because it was what do you want, Solomon? What do you want? It, he, couldn't have, he couldn't have given the Miss America answer, world peace. <laughs> you know, the, the question is, what should I give you? What should I give you, Solomon? And man, he sure could have said a lot of things. A lot of people in this world sure, sure would have said a lot of things. This is what I want. Well, let me get you out my laundry list since you asked here. Let me pull it out or let me take out my smartphone and look it up here. I happen to have a list of things that I would like. 
No, no, no. He asked for something that was very pleasing to the heart of God. He asked for wisdom to, to, to judge God's people and to lead God's people. God was very pleased, said, all right, I like this guy. I like this guy. We read in scripture how much he loved Solomon. He said, okay, then fair enough. You're asking for that? Then brother, I'm making you a son. I'm making you the wisest man ever to live. That's what the scripture says. None before him, none after him. The wisest man ever to live. That, that's, what he did. that's how he answered that question. That's an impressive. Uh, in addition to all these other things that he gave him. Really, really remarkable story. King Solomon was on top of his game, to say the very least, and, and really on top of the world. At that time, Israel was the most powerful country in the world at the time. Israel, Israel's borders came closest to the land grant given to Abraham during Solomon's reign to today. From Abraham, when God promised Abraham, I'll give you all this land of, of Israel and to your seed forever. Okay, it's a forever land grant, a covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Till today, 2022, we're in. Never did Israel come closest to that full land grant as under King Solomon. That's when Israel's borders were the largest. Israel was incredibly powerful. It was the United Kingdom. And King Solomon, incredible riches, honor in the whole world, wisest man ever to live. It's like, come on, y'all. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible stuff. He was right where he needed to be. And you know, what did he do? He did some great and mighty things. There's chapter after chapter after chapter of 1 Kings about all the great things that Solomon did, including, of course, most notably, building the great temple. I mean, you're talking about building the great temple. I gave a message on this a number of years ago when, I, when we actually calculated the amount of gold that was put in the great temple. It was more gold than any building has ever had. Uh, and, and, uh, and it was m the most magnificent building in the world at the time. It would probably be, because of its ornateness, it would probably be the most amazing building in the world today had it still been standing. This is what he built, not for himself, but for God. I mean, th this guy was uh, unbelievable, all the wonderful things that he did. And the scriptures reflect how God loved him. God loved Melech Shlomo. He loved King Solomon. No question about it. Skip to 1 Kings chapter 11. Sadly, <laughs> that's not the end of the story. Why? Because King Solomon's good choices did not last forever. Eventually, Solomon would be tempted and would succumb to the temptation. And, and what was his uh, fatal flaw as Achilles' heel? It was these foreign, ungodly, pagan women. And, and he would be tempted by these foreign women who would draw him away from God. You see, of course, once Yeshua came, the word of God was spread to the whole world. But if you're in Solomon's time, 
if you want to worship the one true God, you kind of had to be within the community of Israel because all the rest of the world were heathens and pagans and worshiping false gods. And so then, therefore, God established guidelines and rules, things such as, listen, when you're looking to marry somebody, look to marry somebody in the community. By the way, young people, if you are a believer in Messiah Yeshua, it should be paramount for you to find someone who also is a believer in Yeshua as, as a spouse. This has got to be incredibly at the top of the list. Very, it's a, it should be a must-have. There has to be this like vision. Why? In part, we see some of what Sol happened to Solomon. And this is why, back in those days, God told the children of Israel, don't intermarry with people from, from some of the, from these pagan lands. Why? Because they will bring their gods into you, and, and, and it will, uh, and it will de both defile you and introduce these false gods into Israel. So, so we read about this in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, Solomon, Solomon, Solomon. Now, King Solomon, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved so many foreign women. Besides the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Woo-hoo-hoo, man, he was... He had a, a really bad uh, uh, <laughs> habit. From, from the nations of whom Adonai had said to the children of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor they associate with you. For surely they would turn your heart away after their gods. In other words, they'd been warned. Solomon, bless you, clung to them for love. So he had 700 wives. <sighs> as princesses and 300 concubines. Uh, there's a lot to be said about that in, a, in a, a horrible way. I mean, my goodness, my wife is, is on the back pew right there, and I say, as we say during Passover, Dianu, it is enough. LAUGHTER all I need is your, your, your kind Rebbitson. Okay. Uh, and, and it says in verse 3, And his women led his heart astray. For it came about, as Solomon grew old, that his wives led his heart away after other gods, so that his heart was no longer wholly devoted to Adonai his God unlike the heart of his father, David, David. Oh, man, y'all. Boy, the Bible is, is, is absolutely chock full of lessons for us, isn't it? My goodness. King Solomon, let me put it this way. Man, he blew it. Woo, man, he blew it royally. And so the kingdom would be divided and he would be the last to reign over a united monarchy. Israel would be split in two after he died. God said, because of your father David, I won't strip it away from you, but from your son, it, the kingdom will be divided. So that was the, the pinnacle of, of really of Israel. Man, because he, he, he messed up bad. I mean, he messed up really bad really bad. 
My family has been watching a little bit of the Olympics this week. Uh, <laughs> you know, being a former Olympic city as Atlanta was, um, I think that sometimes we just kind of, okay, let's see how, it's, it's fun sometimes to watch the competition and to see how everybody's doing and, and, and cry with, with uh, Michaela Schifrin when she, wow, that was just, oh, my heart just broke for her. And, and Sean White did so well to finish, and it, boy, it was so close, fourth and all, but he had an amazing career. But, but if you missed it, there was a very interesting story that developed this week regarding a snowboard cross athlete. And many of you already know this story. They've been uh, talking about it a lot on, on uh, NBC. But if you haven't heard about it, I will, I will tell you about it. And, and, uh, and if you've heard about it, you already know. This, this snowboard cross athlete named uh, Lindsay Jacob Ellis. Okay, and, so, uh, and, and, and if you don't know, snowboard cross, what is that? Okay, obviously it's on a snowboard. It's snowboard racing, uh, if you will. And, and this snowboard racing has... And at these hills where you have like jumps, you got to, you know, you, you, you jump in the air a good bit while you're racing essentially down a hill, but there are also these big curves in the course and you're racing against some other competitors and they have different heats and, 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 and boy, you're just on a snowboard and you are going as fast as you can. These are very short races. Uh, the time for a, a race averages less than 90 seconds. So it's, it's very short race, man, and they are moving fast just on a snowboard all around this course. And, and, and it's not about style at all. You know how some snowboarding stuff like Sean White and all, it's all style. You know, how many flips are they doing and how's they looking and are they, you know. Uh, no, snowboard cross is nothing about style. It's purely about speed. It's purely about who gets to the finish line first. That's the winner, the gold medalist, silver, bronze, etc. So it's all about speed. There's zero style uh, component to it at all. It's really important to note. Well, back when Lindsay Jacobellis was 20 years old uh, in 2006, this was back in 2006, she was already regarded, even at that time, back in 2006, that was a long time ago, she was already regarded as the best snowboard cross athlete in the world. She had already won a world championship in 2005, back when she was only 19. So in the 2006 Olympic Games, uh, she was regarded as, as, as the favorite and as a force to be reckoned with in the snowboard cross event. And it got down to the, the gold medal match. And if you watch the match, I mean, I encourage you at some time, just pull it up from 2006. It's very interesting. I'd show you, but... I can't because YouTube would shut down our stream because of copyright stuff. Okay, and so in any case, she's, she was going, she's going down uh, the course, and, and, the, and in the finals, there are like four or five racers uh, who have made it to the finals, and they're all competing, and they, they're released at the same time from the starting block like horses in a, a horse race. And they're, they're going, and man, with the other uh, female athletes who were on the course, Disaster started striking. The one slipped and fell. Another went off the course and ran into the, to the, the barrier. And, and, uh, and Lindsay was just killing it, man. She was in first place. She was absolutely, she was ahead of all the, the tourists that was going on behind her. And, uh, and so there it was. She was winning, the, and, and this was the gold medal match. 
and there it was, she was winning, and she was ahead. You understand, most of these snowboard cross uh, matches and races are, can only be, sometimes they have to time it to a thousandth of a second, thousand, that, that's how close they sometimes are. But in this case, she was ahead by 140 feet. Okay, it doesn't take a rocket, it's only a 90 second race, y'all. She got to, because of other people and people kind of running into each other a little bit, she was ahead by 140 feet. That is a long, long, long lead. I mean, you can't have a bigger lead in snowboard cross. It's literally about the biggest lead that anybody could ever possibly have. It's a lot. And, and there she was going down, man. There was no one anywhere near her on her snowboard, and she was going, and it was just, and the announcers, you listen to it. The announcers are like, it's a victory lap for, for Lindsay Jacob Ellis, and she will be crowned, you know, you know and everybody's so excited, and, and, and there she is. She's going, and, and, and then you can see the finish line which is within sight, and there's kind of two jumps left before the finish line. Then she goes, uh, and she's, she's skiing down, you know, on that, on that snowboard, and there she is. She's riding it, and, and she's going, and there's nobody 140 feet away from her. And she takes the next to last jump with the finish line just, just right there. You can see it. And, and, but when she, she jumps on that last, next to last jump, Instead of just jumping and landing and crossing the finish line and acquiring her gold medal, collecting it, she doesn't do that. On the next to last jump, when she jumps up in the air on this jump, she showboats. And what does she do? She, she, does, uh, she does something that they sometimes do in, in snowboarding called a, a method grab. And a method grab is when she, she's flying up in the air after jumping, and instead of just kind of landing easily, when she's up in the air, she tucks her snowboard at, behind her and grabs it, showboating, you know, with, with the snowboard. Just totally show, showboating. Well, what happened? When she came down, because she had done this, you know, big bend and the method grab, she was a little off balance, she hit the ground, caught an edge, and fell to her face. And when she fell to her face, it actually took a minute because the second place person was so far back. As she then was, got up, she actually got up and started going down again because the finish line was like from here to the back door. And, 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 and she started going back up, you know, going again, but by that time, she had lost all her momentum, of course, so she's starting out a little bit slow, and it takes like forever, but then if you watch the video, you can see the second place person just go right by her, and she finishes in second and gets the silver medal. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She messed up bad. I mean, really, really bad. Out of that, you know, first she said, oh, I was trying to, she was, she was trying to cover herself. God bless her. She was 20 years old. But she said, first she tried to cover herself. Said, oh, I was doing it for balance. And then later she said, yeah, I was having some fun. Yeah, we, we, everybody knew. Come on, you didn't have to do that. No, 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 you should. This was for the gold medal in the Olympics. What are you doing? 
Everybody was like, oh, and the announcers, you can imagine. You know, oh, disaster. Oh, my God. You know, it was like the Hindenburg or something, you know. It was, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was bad. And, you know, but, but she was still the best snowboarder in the world, snowboard cross athlete, so maybe she'll get another chance. Uh, this was 2006. But in the 2010 Olympics, at one point when during the, the race, she went through the wrong side of a gate, disqualified her. So she finished fifth. 2014, she was leading after her semi, in, in her semifinal race, crashed. 2018 Olympics, she was leading in the final gold medal match Yet again, for most of the race, she was in the lead. It's only a less than 90-second race. She was in the lead most of the race, but ended up finishing fourth. Three one-thousandth of a second out of getting a medal. <laughs> Three one-thousandth of one second away from getting a medal. Yeah, exactly, y'all. Listen, y'all's reaction is exactly my reaction Man, y'all, that's rough. That's rough. My son said, whoa, man, she already paid for her showboating by not winning the gold in 2006. She already kind of paid for it by, by losing that gold medal. And maybe surely by 2010, okay, she paid for it. But jeesh, 2014 and 18 also? What? This is rough. That's a harsh, harsh lesson, y'all, for a 20-year-old. That's a harsh lesson to learn. Yes, she made a massive mistake, but man, did she pay for it. But she kept trying. She kept trying. She kept going. Earlier this week, she made the, again, made the final metal round in the snowboard cross. Finally, the final round yet again. And amazingly, she took the lead again. I was watching that race live. And it was like, whoa, she made an incredible little pass to jump in front of a, a couple people really tight. And this time, however, there was no showboating. <laughs> if you watch her run on the course, this is a few earlier this week, there was no showboating, man. There was no flash, eh, grabbing the board, dancing, woo, sell it. No, no, no. She was like grinding through that, that course. She was going, you could tell, like with everything she had, man, she was going for it. And she won the gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is an American athlete. And in her fifth Olympic Games, which is remarkable, fifth Olympic Games, she's now 36. And Lindsay is consequently the oldest, <laughs> which is amazing, but, you know, this is top athletes of the world. She's the oldest American woman to win a, a, a Winter Olympic medal of any color in any sport. 
Yeah, that's exact the word I have in my notes. Wow. That's the exact word I have. Wow with an exclamation point in my notes. It's like, wow. That's just unbelievable. That, that what she did, how she was able to stick with it like that. And my goodness. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Hmm. Ecclesiastes was written and was clearly written by King Solomon at the end of his life. It's crystal clear when you read Ecclesiastes that he wrote this at the very end of his life. So this is a very important book because it's reflecting upon life from a guy who God said is the wisest man ever to live. Okay, so perhaps he has a few insights that we do not, okay? These are his final reflections on what he has learned in his life. Very profound. Now let's see, as we examine it, let's see if Solomon learned any lessons. Let's, in particular, as we listen to Ecclesiastes, see if Solomon learned any lessons related to ungodly women, which was his fatal flaw. Chapter 7, verse 23. What does Solomon say? He says, All this I have tested with wisdom. And I said, I determined to be wise, but it was far from me. Whatever it may be, it is far off and very profound. Who can fathom it? So I turned my heart to understand, to search and seek out wisdom and an explanation of things and to know the stupidity of wickedness and madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. He who pleases God will escape her, but a sinner will be captured by her. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, man, you know what? You read that after all that Solomon had gone through and it's just like, wow. Oh man, that's deep. That's deep. That is profound, like Solomon. That's very profound. King Solomon had been trapped into sin by these women who caused him to fall into a snare. Oh my gosh. When, when, you, when you read King Solomon say that, right, you, you, your heart almost breaks for the guy. You know, you're like, oh my gosh. You had all this wisdom, but, but you were taken in by this. And, and now here at the end, you realize it. Golly, man. And it was costly to you as well, but, but you realize it. you got to give him credit for realizing it at the end. 
He does get it at the end. You know, based on the book of Ecclesiastes, pretty clearly we're going to see King Solomon in heaven. King Saul? You will see King Solomon, though. Oh, my gosh. He realizes the, the error of his ways. What's the point of these stories and these parallels? I really think that there are three key lessons that we can gain from this. Three key lessons that I'd like for us to consider and to think about because they have real application in our lives. Three takeaways, three lessons, y'all, that I'd like for you to consider. First, if you blow it, you got to get back up. If you blow it, you got to get back up. You heard what happened to Lindsay Jacob Ellis. She got back up. You heard about Solomon, how he, boy, he blew it. But he realized in the end, he got back up. This also helps explain, I'll think a little bit of what you read in Proverbs chapter 24. You can flip to that if you'd like real quick. It's just one verse. But Proverbs chapter 24, which was written by King Solomon, makes more sense if you understand his journey. If you understand his story about how he had it all. I mean, probably almost nobody in the history of the world had as much kind of going for him, really. He had it all. He was King David's son. I mean, built the temple, wisest man ever. He was known, greatest kingdom, powerful man on the earth. I mean, friends, he had a lot. He was doing the work of God. And yet, with this incredible fall, but yet him recognizing it at the end. I, hear what he says in Proverbs 24, verse 16. This is King Solomon. He says, for though the righteous one may fall seven times, he gets up again. But the wicked stumble in adversity. Mm. I want to say that again. Though Though the righteous one may fall seven times, he gets up again. He gets up again. Wow, can you feel that verse have so much more rich meaning if you really understand what Solomon went through? Brothers and sisters, if you've sinned or if you've made mistakes, if you've been manipulative or if you've been judgmental, if you've been angry or if you've been lustful, whatever it is, my friends, get back up again. Get back up again. If you let it keep you down, you will have been beaten twice. First, when you sinned, And secondly, when you don't recover from that sin, you have to get back up again. Pray for forgiveness sincerely and keep serving the Lord. Don't let that stop you in your entire faith journey because of mistakes or even sin. No, you gotta get back up again. I tell you what, it was... was, uh, In Olympic history, it's considered one of the worst mistakes anybody's ever made. 
the Lindsay Jacobels, it was completely an unforced error. I mean, it was hubris, pride. I mean, pretty pure and simple. And, and, and yet, boy, you could imagine, she could have not gotten back up again. First of all, she got back up again in the race, but then 2010, 14, 18, she's still trying even this year, and she finally got the gold. It's, it's absolutely, it's an amazing story of perseverance, right? That's somebody who got back up again. I'm real impressed. That's somebody who's learned a lesson. There was no showboating this time. She learned her lesson. Very powerful. Don't, don't let the, the devil, the adversary, beat you twice. First, when you sin, and secondly, because you don't get back up again. Nope. You can't let old sins and mistakes control the rest of your life. Many people do this, sadly. And, and honestly, this doesn't even have to apply specifically to sinful things, although it certainly does that. Perhaps it's, it's merely that you made a really bad career move or made some kind of other poor choices in life. And you know how some people just live in regret. They live in regret and they live in guilt and they live in condemnation. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I lost my chance, my only chance. I could have I been a contender. <laughs> Some of you will. <laughs> I could have made, made it to the big time, you know. And look what happened. And they just live with this regret constantly in the past or, or, or maybe it is something sinful. Maybe you were involved in, in sexual sins or, 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 or even things such as maybe you had an abortion. Listen, for sure, I'm not minimizing these things at all. For sure, also, get counseling if you need it. Ask for God's forgiveness. At the same time, to honor God, to honor God is to not allow this to define the rest of your life. You can't let this define the whole rest of your life, y'all. The Lord is merciful, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's forgiving. You have to get back up again. You can't allow this to tear down your testimony or passion for God moving forward. You gotta get back up again. That's number one. Lesson number two, it may seem self-evident, learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Don't do it again. You have to learn your lesson. Think about this. What differentiates many of the greats from the Bible from those who failed? It wasn't that the greats in the Bible didn't mess up. I mean, you read about the greats in the Bible, and oftentimes they messed up. Oftentimes they messed up. It's that they learned from their mistakes. That's oftentimes what made them great. They learned from their mistakes. They didn't make them again. Cain didn't learn. David learned. Judas didn't learn. Peter learned. 
John chapter 13. Yeshua was washing the feet of his Talmidim as a lesson in humility and in serving others. I just love this story because you learn something about, about Peter here. God bless him. Peter was something. It's going to be great to meet him up in heaven. <laughs> Yeshua was washing the feet of his disciples. It's, it's hard to even fathom that. As a lesson in humility, serving others, right? Peter, Peter didn't feel comfortable with that. Peter did not feel comfortable with that. I want you to listen and, and catch how quick Peter's going to learn his lesson. How, how quick he learns it. It's, it's remarkable. I love this story. It's great. It shows Peter's heart. Why is Peter one of the greats? John 13, verse 8. Peter said to him, Peter said to Yeshua, you shall never wash my feet. Yeshua answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. That's great. I love that. I love that. I love that. I mean, literally so fast, right, y'all? I mean, so fast from never will you ever wash my feet. Absolutely never. And then Yeshua said, oh, is that right? Okay, well, listen, if, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. Peter's like, okay, man, yeah, take it all, man. Yeah, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. What do you want? I love how quickly Peter changed his tune. I just think that's so cool. I just think that's so cool, man. Peter changed it. Peter learned his lesson. He didn't say, well, that's not part of my theology, Yeshua. (laughs) I don't think that's appropriate, Yeshua. I think I, I think I might know a little bit better on this than you. Oh, my gosh. Friends, Peter was correctable. He made a mistake. He owned it, and he did not make it again. You see? <laughs> Lindsay Jacob Ellis did not showboat this week. It's not that she was not having fun. She was. But she grasped the significance of the moment and finished what she started. She learned from her previous mistake. She appreciated the opportunity that she had. Don't just ignore your mistake or pretend that it didn't happen. So many people do that. If they make a mistake, if they sin, even if they know and and can see their mistake or their sin, a lot of times they just move past it and don't even like to acknowledge it and pretend like it never even happened. No, learn from it and don't do it again. Don't do it again. If you struggle with pornography, then take action needed to make sure that you don't do it next time. If you struggle struggle with manipulating your husband, purpose in your heart not to do so next time. What did Yeshua tell the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. (laughs) In other words, you really have to learn this lesson and not do what you did before again. 
we need to really digest this also. Learn from your mistakes. I remember when I, I'm on the board of, of directors of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. It's the largest Messianic organization over congregations that there is in the world. And I'm honored to be on the board. They call it the executive committee, and, and, it's, and it's full of very impressive folks and many rabbis and business leaders and men and women and, uh, uh, who, are, who are ministry heads and other such things. And in any case, uh, I've been on this board for a long time. I first was able to get on this board as a very, very young person uh, because they slot two of the board of director positions specifically for young people, basically around between the ages of 18 and 30. So two of the board of director members are designated to be these young people. So I was, I had been on the board a little while, but I was around 25 years old or so, 25. And, but because I'd been on the board a little while, um, you know, I, I pretty much, you know, I knew just about everything. <laughs> And, and I remember there was this board, and I, and I wasn't shy to speak up, which they, they encouraged. They wanted, they wanted me to speak up. And the, part of the purpose of this thing was to train me, you know, to, to give me an opportunity to sit with people who are much heavier weight than me um, so I could learn, really, you know. But, but so, I mean, there were people on, on that committee, especially when I first joined, some people who were early pioneers in the Messianic Jewish movement. I mean, some you know, legendary names and that kind of thing. And, and other senior rabbis who were just very acclaimed and prestigious and stuff. And, uh, and I remember there was discussion about things. And I would, again, express my opinion, which I'm not a shy guy, you know. Uh, and so uh, a topic came up, and I'm going to be straight with you. I don't remember what the topic was. Uh, now, I don't remember, but, uh, but at the time, I felt pretty strongly about it, whatever the topic was. And I remember the board meeting. There's probably 20 people on this board. Uh, not that many people voting. There were some uh, kind of ex officios, whatever. There were like 20 senior leaders in this room. And there I was, maybe 24 years old. And, and, I, and then, you know, people go around, and what do you think about this? People, you know, there's one side's kind of strong about this, one side feels that way about that. And I, and I felt pretty impassioned about how I felt. And so I said, yeah, I'd like to say something. They said, okay, we'll recognize you. Yes, Mr. Solomon, well before I was a rabbi. And I said, yeah, well, and this, and this, and that, and this. And, and in fact... This, 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 and this, and this, you, you all. And the moment that the last part came out of my mouth, I thought that was possibly a little too strong. <laughs> the thought came into my head because it was, it was silent for just a moment after I, because I was strong with it. And I thought, ooh, that may have been just a bit too much. And at that point, directly across from me was a very senior rabbi in the Messianic Jewish movement. And I'll never forget this, that he had been looking over to the side. He was directly across from me. 
But when I made that last comment, which was, by the way, over the line, he did this. He, he went, and he looked at me kind of slow motion up toward me in the eye, and I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> and he said, excuse me, Mr. Solomon. And I went, oh, dear Heavenly Father, I have gone too far. <laughs> and I knew right then, and he corrected me. And he, he corrected me strongly. And guess what? I deserved to be corrected strongly. It was incredibly humbling. But let me tell you something. It taught me a lesson. Don't do that. <laughs> so I may be impassioned about what I say. I'm still on the same board today, 20 years later, whatever. I'm still impassioned about what I say uh, and, and strong at times. But I'm cognizant of the fact that there is a line that I am not going to go past when I impassionately share my, my feelings. Friends, you have to learn from your mistakes and not do them again. It was incredibly humbling, y'all. I'll tell you. I wish I could have said I humbled myself, but I was humbled. And it's difficult when you're humbled. It's much better to humble yourself. You have to learn from your mistakes. John chapter 8, as we prepare to close. The third lesson from this story is out of your arrogance or selfishness, don't wait many years before you learn the lesson. Man, I think about Solomon and it just, it hurts. It hurts to think about Solomon that he didn't get this until the end of his life. He didn't get this before the judgment of God was already established what was going to happen. He got this very, very late in his life. In John chapter 8, the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before Yeshua, and the religious leaders asked Yeshua if she should be stoned. This woman caught in adultery, brought before Yeshua, the religious leaders say, hey, Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua, what should happen to her? Should she be stoned? John chapter 8, verse 7. When they kept asking him, he being Yeshua, stood up and said, The sinless one among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he knelt down again and continued riding on the ground. It's interesting. Okay, what he said there was <laughs> pretty intense, pretty heavy, pretty weighty. Say, okay, you, you think she, you, you want to stone her? That's fine. Those of you without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Verse 9, very interesting. Here's what I want to really want to focus on is verse 9. Now, when they heard, they began to leave one by one, the oldest ones first, until Yeshua was left alone with the woman in the middle. Then he had this interaction with her, which I actually described earlier. But what I want you to notice here is that the older ones left first. When Yeshua said what he said, the older ones left first. There was 
perspective, knowledge, and wisdom, and discernment amongst the elders, elderly, those who were older, that they got the lesson sooner than the young people got the lesson that Yeshua was teaching them. And it was a lesson of, really, of humility and of non-judgmentalism. But, but friends, I hear this in the elderly often. And in some ways, you'd say, wow, that's great. Our elders have the wisdom and the knowledge, and they do. And that is great. However, I also hear, sadly, all too often, regret. Regret. Because they only fully come to terms with certain things in their lives when they're incredibly old. I frequently hear regret on people's deathbeds. You know, in my role, I see people on their deathbed more often than most people. And often when people are on their deathbed, nobody's ever put in pretense. There's no pretense ever. People are very sincere, incredibly vulnerable. And just as in this story, the elderly frequently have a perspective on things which allows them to see more clearly. But friends, the earlier you open your eyes, the earlier you will see. Beloved, simply, don't wait to do what you know is right to do. And this speaks, yes, to the young people, but this speaks to our seniors as well. This speaks to everybody because you're here now able to do things. Don't wait to do what you know is right. Make amends. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness. If Solomon had learned this lesson earlier, he probably would have been regarded as the greatest king ever to live. So remember this. Number one, if you blow it, get back up again. Number two, learn from your mistakes. Don't make them again. And number three, don't wait too long to learn the lesson. If you learn these lessons, forget getting a gold medal. One day, you'll be walking on streets of pure gold. The title of my message is Lessons Learned. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask if there's anybody here today who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If you've never given your life to God, but you'd like to, wherever you are, lift your hand if that's you and you've never said yes to Yeshua, but you want to. Is there anyone? Is there anyone? If you're online and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, repeat this simple prayer after me. Say, dear God, I accept Yeshua into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. Or if you're here, see me after the service. I want to 
congratulate you. And for the rest, for the rest of all of us, if you're watching, listening on the podcast, or if you're here, I want to pray for you. Lord God, in the name of Yeshua, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. If we blow it, get back up again. Lord, if there's some certain people, if there's certain of us that have messed up, but yet it's hanging over our heads, Lord, let us be able to move past it. Not because we don't remember, not because we don't care, not because it wasn't important or significant, not because it wasn't even something really bad, but we need to get back up again. Why? Because you have more things for us to do. And we need to move forward in your forgiveness and your mercy. Number two, Lord, help us learn from our mistakes. God, if we are tempted again in something that we already have blown, God, remind us so that we don't make the same mistakes again. Lord, help us be resolute in purpose not to make the same mistakes we made before. And number three, Lord, help us not to wait too long to learn the lesson. Lord God, if there are people who have things in their life that they need to do, let them not wait till their deathbed to do them. Help us, Lord God, learn these lessons. I thank you, God, for these things. We bless you, Lord. And thank you for the Shabbat. B'Shem Yeshu, in the name of our Messiah, Yeshu, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethalel family, please visit our website at www.bethalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom.